0: Hey, you awesome folks. Thanks for taking this journey of discovery with your guide, Keith Haney. You're listening to the Becoming Bridge Builders podcast, your favorite podcast for everything from racial reconciliation to education innovation, justice reform, and leading change in the 21st century. This podcast is for people who love to be challenged with difficult topics, but want practical solutions to solve these challenging issues. Becoming Bridge Builders makes change possible. Each week on the podcast, Keith invites innovative thought leaders to share how they are building bridges in their area of expertise. You will hear breakthrough ideas and concepts that are changing the world. He's featuring guests who are best-selling authors, leaders at Microsoft, entrepreneurs, leading educators, professors, lawyers, and so many more. Listen in to learn how you can be the bridge to the change you are seeking.
1: My guest today is Ricardo Martinez II. Ricardo is a creative individual who is using his skills in writing, design, and podcasting to tell the stories of those he works with. For 13 years, he has answered the calls of 911 dispatcher. Through his years of dis- in dispatch, he was able to go through school when he received an associate in web development through Baker College. A bachelor's in graphic design through Full Sail University, As well as a master in new media journalism in March of 2013. He is the author of Imagine Listening Your Worst Day Is Our Everyday. We welcome Ricardo to the show. Well, it's so good to welcome Ricardo to the show. How are you doing there, Ricardo?
2: I am doing very well. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, good. I'm great to have you on. I'm glad to talk about this topic of being a 911 dispatcher and talk about your book, but I want to give you a good question to kind of get us warmed up here. Give me the best piece of advice you've ever received.
2: So, I would say that the the best piece of advice I ever received was from my my grandmother, my mom's mom. Uh, I remember, you know, just growing up her telling me, "You're going to do I feel like you're gonna do good things, and I just want you to know that you know if you really believe in something and uh, you know what you're doing, don't stop until you until you make it happen. Of course, all of that was in Spanish which, oh. when she said it to me originally, <laughs> yeah. but that that's one of the things that I I remember the most. My grandmother was a, a great storyteller, and I kind of feel like that's where I got that from was from my grandmother.
1: I love that because storytelling is so important, especially in our side and culture, because. Oftentimes, our stories get lost today, and to be able to have people tell those stories and tell other people's stories is great. So that's kind of what the podcast is really about. It's kind of me getting a chance to hear stories from people like yourself to share with the audience to bless them and their journeys.
2: Perfect. I love it, I, I and I, I love sharing stories, so I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. This well, good. Awesome.
1: I also like to ask my guests, you know, we don't always get a chance to stop and think about the people in our lives who have impacted us. Who are some people in your life you can stop and think, maybe get a shout out to, who you just want to say, you know, I just want you to know how important and how valuable you were in my development?
2: Well, first and foremost, you know, my, my grandmother, as I, as I mentioned, you know, she— God rest her soul. She she passed away back in uh, 2007, and actually, in a few days, it'll be the anniversary of when she passed away. But uh, you know, with her, my parents very hardworking, and of course, a lot of the other you know dispatchers that I worked with from the beginning of my journey all the way up to to present time. These are folks that have really been uh, an inspiration to me, and uh, just just the way they they did a lot of their things, you know, just the work ethic, just working hard, being passionate about what they do and really loving it. All of that really pushed me to do a lot of what I do today for a living.
1: That's great. I love that. I would love to ask you, have you as a guest, because I love hearing not just your story, but just kind of your journey. Tell us your journey and tell us the lessons you learned along the way.
2: So if we're, you know, kind of, Talking about, you know, dispatch, if, if, we're, if we're starting there, really with that journey, I can start with this. And that, that, in the beginning of that, back in 2001, <laughs> that far back, uh, 2001, you know, I was really at a kind of a crossroads in my life. You know, there was a lot of different things that were going on, and I wasn't sure where I was going to end up. And I was, I was having a, a, a lot of issues. I was basically at my rock bottom, I would say, and I'm a firm believer that when you're at your rock bottom, you can only claw your way back up, and uh, you really find out what you're made of. You find out who you are. And uh, back then, I remember going to visit one of my cousins because I decided I can't, I can't really live like this anymore. I I, I need a fresh start, or at least I need a break. To try to figure out things, try to start that journey of climbing my way back up to the top. And I visited my cousin and I told him, I'm going to leave to Florida. And I'm, I'm going to visit my mom, my grandmother, and my younger sisters and just see what I can do. Now, when I left, I had also told other friends they, had, they, they didn't know uh, really that I was going to be leaving. They didn't believe it. Rather, is is what it was. They didn't believe that I was leaving, and I said, "No, I'm. I am going to leave." When I left, I didn't even tell my dad. And the reason for that was because he and I, during that time, I was I was living with him and my younger brother. We were basically at each other's throats. I mean, we were just we weren't getting along, and I needed to get out of that situation as well. And I ended up going to pick up my brother. On my way to pick up my brother. Cause he was, he decided he was going to come with me. <laughs> I turned on the radio and there was this song that came on that made me feel as though what I was doing at that moment was the right thing to do. Now there's a, there's a band called POD and they have a song that's called Alive. And when that song played on, when I turned the radio on and that song came on, it was right at the beginning I knew something good was going to happen. I didn't know what or to what extent, but I felt like something good was going to happen. And I went and picked up my, my brother and we took off on a magical road trip that I will never forget. It was, it was amazing. There was so much that was going on during that time. And we end up getting to my mom's house. And I end up being there for about a, about a month like i I had only planned on staying for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'd only planned for, on staying for a couple of weeks, but then you know my mom ends up telling me uh you think you might want to find a job <laughs> like you've <laughs> you've been here long enough maybe you should try finding a job and up until that point now I'm about 19 years old also I was it was a father of a, of a one-year old uh, or one and a half closer to one and a half and that was part of my whole part of my rock bottom and everything. His mom and I were not in the in the best place. We were no longer together and stuff. So all of that stuff we're trying to figure out as well. But now I'm, I'm in Florida trying to figure out this fresh start, right? And up until that point, I only had retail management experience. So that's what I was looking for. And I could not find any jobs out there. This was in Polk County, Florida. And if you've ever read any of those... Florida man or Florida woman stories. <laughs> a lot of times it comes from that county.
1: <laughs> oh my!
2: Yes, so you know, I I'm, I'm looking all over the place. I cannot find anything. My mom one day says to me, "You know, your cousin's husband knows the chief of police," and just kind of paused there for a moment. And I thought, "Oh, awesome! Good, good <laughs> for my cousin." I and I didn't understand, right? I didn't understand that in the beginning. And my mom's like, give me a chance. Hold on. Let me, let me explain. Her husband and the chief were, uh, they were talking over at lunch, I guess. And he had mentioned that they were looking for dispatchers. And she goes, you should go and apply to be a 911 dispatcher. And I remember looking at my mom and thinking, I, I have no idea what they do. <laughs> I don't know what it entails. Like my only experience up until that point was a show that I grew up with that I was in love with called Rescue 911. And it had William Shatner. He was the host. And after, at the end of pretty much every episode, the 911 dispatcher and and they, they end up getting to meet the people that they were talking to, the people that they helped over the phone. Well, what I found out is that that's not a true depiction of what really <laughs> happens in 911. <9-1-1. laughs> <laughs> but I, I was I was intrigued, you know, I thought, why not? Let's see what happens. So I ended up calling in, you know, I get a, uh, an interview, going for the interview, but then I don't hear anything for about two months. And just one day I'm going to lay down to take a nap and my grandmother busts into the room yelling at me in Spanish and she's yelling at me saying the police are here. The police are here. And then she says, What did you do? <laughs> and and I just I remember looking at her and I said, I, I didn't do anything. But then, you know, then I had to think about it. Did I do anything last night? I was out with cousins. I don't think I did anything. So she tells me to go outside and see what's going on. And, and it was the chief of police. Now, the town that I was in, the city is called frostproof seriously frost well florida if that makes sense yeah Yeah. (laughs) right yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the name of the city and and it's a small town okay it's a small town everybody knew the chief the chief knew everyone and where i was at with my mom uh and, and my family the house was like five minutes maybe five minutes down the road from the police department so he shows up i go outside i say hello And ask what's going on. And he goes, well, I just wanted to stop and see if you still wanted the job. And I said, oh, yes, I do. Um, Yeah, that would be great. I didn't hear from, I haven't heard from you in like two months. And he goes, well, it's a long background process. And I said, oh, oh, well, okay. Now, I don't know about you, but (laughs) a lot of the jobs that I've had previous to dispatch when you get a new job, like you start the following week. Well, that wasn't so with this because I asked the chief. I said, "So do I start next week or something?" And he goes, "No, you start tonight, <laughs> huh?" <laughs> so I, I, I said, "Okay, really?" And he goes, "I mean, you want the job, don't you?" And I said, "Well, yes. Hold on. No, I do want the job. I just thought, I just thought I would start next week." And he goes. Nope, you start tonight. And I said, okay. So my first shift ever in dispatch was a midnight shift. And it was 10 at night to six in the morning. And it was eight hour shifts, one dispatcher on at a time. There was probably about 12 sworn officers. And that's including the sergeant, lieutenant, and the chief. So that night I go in and I meet my trainer. And he... I would just say he was very seasoned. <laughs> he had he had done the job for a while. He was he was a veteran dispatcher and he's showing me everything, okay? And I'm just I'm in awe of what I'm seeing because this is this is the first time I've been on the other side or even in a police department really for for anything like that and 911 rings and he takes the call. Now, for me, it was almost as if I was watching something on National Geographic or Shark Week or something like that's how into it I was watching him take that call and when he was done I I remember going great job I think I even applauded yeah. him a little bit and he just kind of looked at me and he goes well you're next <laughs> and I said excuse me and he goes you're next and I, I just, I remember throwing my hands up at him and saying, there's nothing else to this. Like there really is no other training for this. And he goes, listen, in order to do this job, you need common sense. You need to have thick skin and you need to be human. Mm. And. At the time, there wasn't a lot of talk about mental health and wellness or anything like that. It was more so like a suck it up buttercup type mentality. So now I tell people a fourth thing, which is to make sure to take care of yourself. But that's how it was for me in the beginning of this dispatch journey. That first night was taking my first call and I'm sweating, just sitting there, waiting, you know, <laughs> I'm just freaking out, waiting for this call to come in because it's nine one one. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know what is going on in the world in the area, who is going to call, what exactly it's going to be. and i'm I'm just sitting there, just sweat, going down my back, you know <laughs> and and then finally, the phone does ring, and it's my turn. And I answer the phone. And luckily, it was a butt dial. (laughs) 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 But that's how it all started out. That's how I started my journey back in 2001 in dispatch.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So I'm sure that you've had some, some interesting 911 calls. Which one of over 13 years really sticks in your mind the most?
2: So there are at least three of them three of them. But the first one that I will give, which is very close to my heart and significant as well to my family. So as I mentioned, we're coming up actually, which is interesting that we're so close to it. We're coming up to this anniversary. And back in 2007, I was working in dispatch and my grandmother was living with my aunt who also lived in the county that I was working in. And it was also the county that I grew up uh, in because I I spent my time in Frostproof for about almost four years dispatching. Then I moved back home to Southwest Michigan and started working for a dispatch center, a central dispatch, where there's more than one person working at a time. There's about three to four of us. Call volume is way higher. Types of calls, even more craziness, just a lot of it that's going on. And... My grandmother's now living with my aunt and she was in hospice care. So we knew she was getting close to passing. All of my family from Florida is already in Michigan and they are at my, my aunt's house where my grandmother is. And I was sitting on backup phones and backup radios at the time. And this was in the middle of the night and it was already decided that if my grandmother passed away while I was working, that I would be able to leave and go be with my family. So again, it's middle of the night, it's about three or three 30 in the morning. And, you know, I'm getting these text messages from my sisters saying, you know, her breaths are becoming further and further apart. And I'm sitting there. There's not really much going on. And my partner who's on main phones ends up getting up and she says ricardo i'm gonna go to the break room really quick is is that okay and i said sure there's nothing going on anyway and that is almost like tempting fate <laughs> like you're you're throwing it out there in the universe for something to happen right so right i say that you know and she goes to the break room and And as soon as the door shuts, the phone rings. And I'm getting goosebumps right now. The same way I did, wow, when the call came in. With the phone system that we had back then, it was an older phone system. So if you waited maybe like half a ring, the information would pop up on the screen. Now, I never hesitate to pick up the phone. I never waited that half a ring or anything. But for whatever reason... This call, as soon as the phone rang, it felt different. That the hair in the back of my neck was standing up, and I waited that half ring to see the information on the screen. And when it popped up, it was my mom's cell phone number. Wow. And immediately, all I could think was, what are the odds that I'm the one taking this call? I pick up the phone. And I say, you know, Allegan nine one one. Where's your emergency? And I hear my cousin's voice, and she says, Richie. And I said, Yeah. And she goes, Grandma just died. And I, you know, I had to go through the motions. And as soon as I got off the phone, I looked over at my supervisor, who's also actually. A childhood friend of mine, we went to school together, we grew (laughs) up together, and years later, we end up working together, and she ends up being my supervisor, so she says, you know, go, go ahead and go, and I left, and I went and picked up my brother, and then we went back to my aunt's house to be there with my family, and years later, I was talking to a friend, and I told him that story, and he goes, what a blessing. And I remember thinking, what do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean? What a blessing. And I thought about it more. And it took me a little while, but I finally understood. Because from the beginning, when my parents got married, before my siblings and I were born, my grandmother lived with my parents. So she was literally there for me in the beginning when I was born and when she passed away i was there for her and uh, as i mentioned earlier she was a great storyteller and she left me with that story to tell
1: wow it is it is amazing how god puts you in the right place at the right time to be just where he needs you to be in that moment and you were there in that moment for yourself but also for your family because it wasn't it wasn't some impersonal Nine one one dispatcher. It was someone who understood what the family was going through and 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 knew they were going to be taken care of and cared for in that moment. So yeah, that's a powerful story.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, it's I, I will always have it. And when I go around to different conferences or when I'm teaching other dispatchers or whatever, that's one of the stories that I always share because. You never know what's going to happen in 911, but I'm a firm believer that there are some phone calls that are meant for us because we might have some sort of life experience, something in our past that allows us to be able to talk to others in a better way than others could. Not that they wouldn't do a good job. I know they would do a great job, but I have the same experience that this person is calling about that allows me to talk to them in a different way. Than others would be able to.
1: Exactly. You said there were two more that stood out. What was one of the other ones that stood out for you?
2: Yeah. So, you know, there, there, um, there was one that I remember it was early on when I was working in Michigan and this one, this one is a, it, it, well, these next two are both really good, you know, and, and, and powerful of course, but I took a phone call from a mom who was, who was hysterical. She was just, you know, Yelling, and I couldn't get through. Now, when you're taking a phone call like this, and someone is just beside themselves, you—if you try to raise your voice, it's like white noise. You know, it's—it's it's background noise. Rather, um, they hear somebody there, but they're so into what is going on, and of course, for obvious reasons, they don't hear you. But if you bring your voice down. To almost a whisper, it kind of tricks the person on the phone in a way where they're thinking, is anybody even here? Are you there? And every time, that was something that I learned early on to be able to do a technique. And it worked every time. This, This lady who called in, she stopped and she did ask, is there someone there? And that was my moment to jump in and start asking all the questions that I needed, location, phone number, name, all of it. In the situation, of course, what had happened was that her kids, this is wintertime, and her kids were all sledding down this hill. They were trying to see who could get the furthest. And the youngest, her daughter, was the one to get the furthest. However, even though she won, she ended up going sliding into or onto rather the middle of a pond that they had. And it was thin ice. Ooh. They couldn't get out there to her. So I, you know, I end up sending everybody out. I'm trying to keep her as calm as possible and then help arrives. And, you know, I, I get off the phone. I tell her, you know, go meet with everyone. They're there. They're going to help your daughter. And I hung up with her and I just sat there waiting and hoping and praying that they would be able to get her. And without incident, right? And finally, after I felt like I was holding my breath for years, (laughs) but I I end up hearing them come up um, over the radio and they said, we've got her, we've got her. And one of the most amazing things. So about a week or so later, I'm working morning shift and my supervisor at the time is reading the local newspaper and yells out, who took this call? Now. (laughs) <laughs> we all knew in the room that she was reading the newspaper, the local newspaper, and nobody wanted to say anything because of course, like a lot of times when something like that happens, it's not something good. And so I'm just sitting there, you know, kind of ducking <laughs> and, and I, I, I said, what call? Like, what, what are you talking about? And she starts t- telling me pieces from it. And I said, that was my call. I said, what it, what is it? It was the family. They took out an ad space and thanked the Dispatch and everyone who went out there that helped their daughter. And that is, I, I still have the newspaper clipping from that. My my supervisor at the time ended up cutting it, uh, cutting it out, and she gave it to me. And that's one thing that I will always have. Now, the 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 last one or the the next one rather. This one also goes along with calls that are meant for us because of an experience that we might have. And this one, there was a lady who called in uh, in the middle of the night and she was suicidal. You know, she didn't want to live anymore. She was having excruciating back pain and neck pain to the point where she could not take it anymore. She could not, handle the pain and she didn't know what else to do and to the point where she no longer wanted to live now I got this phone call what she didn't know until I told her of course but what she didn't know was that months before this phone call I too was dealing with excruciating back pain neck pain shoulder pain Pain to the point that it was in my temple and into my eyeballs. And it was just, it was bad. I was going to the doctor. They had no idea what to do for me. They did—they There was nothing wrong that they could see or that they could tell. And they sent me to physical therapy. It helped for maybe an hour, you know, but nothing else worked. So finally, I decided to do something that I never thought I would do because of fear that someone would one, make fun of me for doing it at all. And two, if I did a pose wrong or something, you know, someone was going to give me crap for it. And I just, I didn't care anymore. So I thought, I'm just going to try this. If it works, awesome. If not, I don't know what to do. And you probably already figured it out, but it was, it was yoga. I tried yoga (laughs) and, the first round of yoga that I did, I think it was for about 45 minutes and all of that pain went away and I have no idea. It just, it worked. So now fast forward to this phone call. One of the things I learned from one of my trainers and uh, of course, early on, one of those main things was being human. And when you're on a phone call with someone who wants to do something like this and you're talking to them and help is already on the way you want to try your best to keep their mind off of what it was now it it doesn't always work right sometimes people call in and they just they just do it they want someone to be there with them this person however that i was talking to wanted to talk to somebody so i got all the information got help going out there they were still a little ways away and i continued this conversation with this person and i told her I had been dealing with the same thing. You know, I, it, was, it was my turn to, to be human. And I started telling her what I was going through. And she asked me what I did for it. How did I find pain relief? And I told her yoga. And we talked about it enough that help got there. And at the end, she said, thank you. And she not only said thank you, but she also said she no longer wanted to commit suicide. Because now there was another pathway there was, there was another solution. There was something else that she could try. And I remember getting off the phone and those are those wins that I hung on to during those hard days to remember that impact that I have on people when they call in. And for all I know, this person is a yoga instructor somewhere. I don't know, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, it's 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 one of those that will will always stick with me. And whenever I practice yoga, I think of that person because that connection will always be there.
1: That's powerful. You wrote a book. Imagine listening, yes. your worst days are everyday. So tell us about your book.
2: So imagine listening is is all of all of everything that I do stems from my own struggles and dispatch. And it 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 had to do with those calls. You know, as I said in the beginning, there's a stigma. And in some places, there is that stigma where if you're asking for help, you're weak. And I finally, again, didn't care anymore what people were thinking because I knew I needed help. And it was therapeutic for me to talk about it, it was therapeutic for me to write about it. And in 2016, I founded this movement called the I am 911 movement. It was hashtag I am 911. And what this movement was about originally started to raise awareness for reclassification of 911 dispatchers because, through the Office of Management and Budget, emergency dispatchers are part of the clerical class or not part of the protective class with police, fire, and EMS. So, there was this reclassification that was trying to be done. Organizations were trying to fight for it, and it actually just restarted yesterday. And I was trying to raise awareness, trying to help raise awareness by sharing stories. So the first story I shared was one of my own. I wanted it to be raw. I wanted it to be dispatch style. And I really wanted to touch those who were going to be reading it to get just a glimpse into a call that I have taken. So I created a meme and it said, I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four wheeler. Hashtag 911. And I put it out there and asked other dispatchers to do the same thing. And it exploded. There was dispatchers from all over the world who were sharing IM 911 stories. But in the UK, they were sharing as IM 999. In Australia, IM 000. And it was the, the the entire thin gold line as dispatches known as came together to share these stories to show the difference between emergency dispatchers and commercial dispatchers. Well, where Imagine Listening comes in is I started a or built a class, actually, at different public safety conferences where I gave other dispatchers the chance to share their stories out loud, either out loud or to write it down. And it was because I wanted people to do just what the title says. I want people to imagine listening, a call just like this to come in, but also to show how it sticks with us. So that's where the book comes in. They're all stories that were submitted for the movement. It's book one in a series of books that are going to be coming out. And if, if for those who have it, if you have it, or if you end up purchasing the book, pages 7 and 39 are my personal I Am 911 stories. But that's where the book comes from. It highlights all of these stories that were submitted. And, again, it's just it's book one in a series of books that are going to be coming out highlighting those stories.
1: So you mentioned there was a declassification starting. So tell us how that ended up. You said they were they were just starting to, to reassess that. So tell us how that turned out.
2: So 2016 uh, came and all of this awareness was now going out. Like it exploded to the point where news media outlets were, were sharing stuff about the movement and how it was connected to reclassification. And the only thing is, though, is that The OMB, what they look for is more so hard data versus the emotional side, which I understand. But that piece is a big piece that goes into it as well for people to understand that we're not just answering the phone. We're not just drones. We might be calm, cool, and collected. However, in the back of our minds, we're freaking out with the caller too because we're empaths. We're putting ourselves in their shoes to be able to understand, to be able to build that trust and, and, and have those questions answered to get them help as fast as possible, but but also for that information for the field responders that are heading out there. So all of this is going on, but they ultimately denied it. <laughs> they ended up not doing it after all. And it's every 10 years, I believe, close to that, where maybe it's eight, something something to that effect. It's, it's either eight or 10 That they start, they do the reclassification again. And yesterday, uh, Congresswoman Norma Torres actually started it again. It's called the 911 Saves Act, and it's simply to reclassify 911 dispatchers as first responders. But there's a lot of state, uh, states rather that have done it at the state level. They've reclassified, but what we're looking for is through the the federal level. Uh, for that, but that's how it went down in 2016. They ended up denying it. The stories have continued, what started as reclassification—a way to uh, raise awareness—quickly turned into peer support. Because what we found out was that a lot of the 911 dispatchers and call takers that were taking these calls and sharing these stories—they felt alone. But through all of this, they no longer feel as though they're alone, and we're all connected together in this whole storyline that we have.
1: For those who are unclear, why is the classification so important for 911 dispatchers?
2: So the reclassification is is important, mostly as of right now, it's for that recognition. A lot of times people look at 911 dispatch and they think, well, you don't really deal with a lot. You're not, out there seeing certain things, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not doing this, but let me tell you, hearing it is just is taxing because when we're taking these phone calls, when they come in, I'm hearing everything that is going on and I'm making this mental picture, like putting this puzzle together in my head. And a lot of times some of those things are worse than what is actually going on out there. But that stuff sticks with us. We are impacted just as much as those seeing it because we're hearing it. But the other thing is though, for us, we don't always get closure. We don't always know what happens and that sticks with us unless somehow we see it in the news the following day. But a lot of times we don't know. But with that not just the recognition, there's also different benefits that end up coming from that. So, you know, law enforcement, all those in the protective class, you know, retirement years, so many different things, budgets for mental health and wellness, you know, training or just just other things to that effect. Dispatch doesn't get that right now. So eventually, once that ends up going through, hopefully, once the reclassification happens, eventually... Other benefits will come from that as well. But to start off, it's that recognition that dispatch is also part of those, that protective class because we see ourselves as first responders. I mean, everything starts with us. The phone call starts with us and ends with us. I mean, we're there throughout it, but it sticks with us far beyond that call because it's stuff that we've listened to. But now With more technology, now some dispatch centers are actually seeing it as well, because now you not only have text to 911 that also includes pictures, but you have video to 911 that is coming as well, where we have to prepare even more so for that mental health of those who are answering those calls.
1: You got me thinking now, because 911 dispatchers have so much that they deal with, what's the average lifespan of a 911 dispatch. I mean, is there a, a point where it's like there's burnout PTSD from being a nine one one? I'm sure it's gotta be some 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 wear and tear it has on you mentally to do that. What's the range of how long people can do this or typically do this?
2: So I don't have the exact numbers, but I can give you some of the just the information that I know specifically. So my burnout happened about seven years in. Six to seven years in, my burnout happened. And there were a lot of uh, variables that went into that. I mean, if you throw in county politics, you know, (laughs) and just, uh, you know, toxicity from that, you know, being short staffed, low morale, all of this going into that burnout. So again, for me, it was six to seven years in, I had hit that burnout. And it was, for for others you know i mean everybody is is different and so i was dispatching for 13 years then went to the private side of 911 i've been in public safety now for a total of 22 years but for those actually in uh in the chair under the headset i know a lot of folks who have gone 30 35 years and have done it all that time but you know, the sad thing, though, and I, and I had this conversation recently with someone, was that there have been times where, you know, people will retire out and then a few years later they pass away. And and, and I don't know what that's from. You know, maybe they had a medical issue or whatever. But it seems, it seems to happen. And uh, there's also a lot of different things. PTSD, you know, a lot of that has come out from dispatch too, from about 2016 when I started that movement and everyone started to talk even more about mental health and wellness and dispatch, it has become a big topic and continues to be a big topic along with short staffing issues and everything. But I mean, just a few months ago, I I had a good friend of mine from, uh, from a dispatch center on the, on the East side that, uh, you know, ended up ended up passing away. They took their own life, and there are other, you know, dispatchers out there who have dealt with something similar.
1: As a former dispatcher, what message do you have for those who are still in it? To get, kind of encourage them,
2: if you need help, please do not be afraid to ask for help, because I was one of those dispatchers who buried all of my calls. And until I opened up and started talking, I thought that I was leaving it at work, but that was truly crap (laughs) It's basically what it was because I I was in denial, you know, I I thought I was leaving it there, but then, you know, I come home kind of distant, you know, long conversations. I'm like, come on, pick it up, pick it up. But it was because I couldn't turn it off and I, I, I needed to figure out a way for myself to, to really to heal myself. And for me, what it was, was telling stories, my stories, sharing that. And, and and then others started talking about it as well. So please don't ever feel like you are weak for asking for help or wanting to share a story Because it actually takes a lot more courage to open up and really be vulnerable and put yourself out there. That is where the courage is. And other people seeing it and hearing it will inspire them to do the same. I mean, we don't always know the impact of what we do. But a good friend of mine always talks about the ripples that come from that. And I believe in it as well.
1: That's great. I love to ask my guests this question. What do you want your legacy to be?
2: Oh. <laughs> I, you know, I guess for my legacy, I I really want what I wanted to do with everything that I do now for a living is I wanted to leave a mark on 911 as a whole. I wanted to leave it in a better place. Than where I found it, because even though when I first started out, we supported each other, there wasn't a lot of talk about mental health and wellness. And now years later, there is. And that's that's really what I want my legacy to be is just someone that really believed in what they were doing And wanted to make it better for those who were coming in so that they didn't have to deal with what I dealt with and to know that it's okay to not be okay, that it's okay to ask for help and just keep going.
1: That's great. So, Ricardo, where can people find your book, Imagine Listening, Your Worst Day Is Our Every Day, and connect with you on social media and your podcast as well?
2: No, of course. So for imagine listening for the book, you can find it on, on Amazon or any retailer that you buy your books from or your ebooks. Uh, but I, I will say if you know, like everything else, if you're looking for it fast, go to Amazon. <laughs> that's that's the best spot for it. But to connect with me, whether it be on social media or to listen to the podcast or anything like that, you can simply go to links.co slash WTT podcast. And that's links, but with two eyesco dot co slash WTT podcast. You'll find my email on there, all of my social media, the latest episode, also where to get the book as well. And uh, any podcast merchandise or virtual events that I create, it's all on that bio page. So everything is there. And thank you so much for having
1: me on. Well, Ricardo, thank you for for this enjoyable 45 minutes and just sharing your stories and your heart. And blessings on the book and telling the story. And I I encourage the audience to think about your local 911 dispatchers. If there's a way to support them locally, do that. Um, Let them know how much they're appreciated and how valuable their work is. Because when you dial 911, you want someone to answer. So remember the people who, who serve you.
2: Excellent.
0: Thanks for listening to Becoming Bridge Builder. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help support the podcast, please subscribe and share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at BKeithHaney and on Getter and Twitter at RevHeadpin or on his website at alightbreaksthrough.org. Thanks again and tune in next time.